Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamariu. Delighted to have with us today Bart Derde, who is the Chief Supply Chain Officer of Haleon. Haleon is the consumer healthcare unit uh, that was um, created uh, as a spin-off from JSK, uh, some of you may know, about 18 months ago. Uh, Bart is a long-standing supply chain professional. He has had a long career, started in Unilever, then many positions in Racket, and for the last five years with JSK. The last 18 months of those five years, as I mentioned, end-to-end uh, leading the supply chain at Haleon to the spin-off listing of, um, of what made at the point in time the largest consumer healthcare listed company in the world. Um, you probably know a lot of their products like Panadol, Centrum, Vitamins or Sensodyne. I know for sure I'm using some of it. So Bart, pleasure to have you and thanks for joining. Radu, thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. Thank you. Pleasure. So maybe let's start with, with, with yourself. I like to ask the question, long career, successful career, making it to the board level in supply chain. When you look back, um, what were some of your inflection points, those moments that made the most difference for you in your career? Yeah, I, um, firstly, the first time when I got into a career was in Ashford in Kent making bachelor's cup of soup. And I built a line with they, they gave me a couple of million quid and said here go and build a line and for the first time i got a group of people together who were operators on another line and we said right we're going to do this together we took them offline for six months and we got 70 percent oee within six months and i guess that was the moment of if you involve people in the right way you can do anything in a supply chain and uh, i learned about involving people in you know, making a difference. And that probably has stood me in good stead for building the supply chains of the future. Um, involve people, uh, get the, if everybody can deliver on their purpose, which is consistent with the company purpose, then you get some sparks of energy and you can create magic. And so that first little couple of years in Unilever was just the best, the best time of my career in many ways. Then of course I did some great things. First site director, is a moment in time, there's no doubt when you get your first sight, and I think I was 35, that you suddenly think you've got this, this thing that you can do what you want with. And um, you can develop talent, you can create energy, you can put capex in. And I think all of those things were, it felt like it was my own little business, my own little company, that I could do what I wanted with, within the framework of the Unilever operating model, of course, and you have to work within that framework. But it's as much of your own little business as you can get within a big corporate environment. And so first site director, definitely a moment in time. And then joining probably Reckitt was another moment in time. It went from a very paternalistic company at Unilever to suddenly a company that was, you know, shareholder value was what really mattered. And there were a bunch of top 40 people there who were owners of the company and genuine owners. And it felt like a place where, you know, like a PE company, like a place where people are going to make a difference, get into the detail and focus on really delivering huge value. And for the kind of 10 years, well, 13 years I was at wreck uh, I learned how to run a business, I think. I learned how to be part of a business environment, part of running what it, you know, a, a, a place that, you know, grew from, by, I, I remember joining at £13 a share and leaving at £70 a share. Um, so it was a hell of a journey of value creation uh, through that time at Reckitt. And I learned how to be a business leader. And that was a brilliant insight. Um, and then one last kind of example, perhaps, is 
GSK. GSK struggled to grow its share price in the way that Reckitt did. So there was a kind of, how do we deliver on purpose and performance? Um, and clearly bringing people in to help deliver on performance, um, but an incredibly purposeful company where if you can connect purpose and performance together, coming back to the kind of first point when I was at Ashford, then again, you can unlock magic. And I think there's a real kind of halion we've tried to do those two things, connect purpose and performance with individual aspirations. And if you can do those, those things, you can unlock magic in an organization. And that's probably the biggest thing I've learned in, in, in that career story. Yeah, probably the biggest thing I've learned. Love it. And specifically for, for Halion, it was, I mean, I might be mistaken, but I think it was the first and very large consumer health spin-offs. Now, in, in the meantime, there's been a few others, uh, can be with, with J&J, there's been a few announcements. I think Sanofi announced that they're going to do the same. There's a few other discussions within the, the space, but you guys were really among the first, created the largest listed company. I'm curious, and I want to speak to you a little bit about the experience of how do you do that, right? All of a sudden you have you have your, your freedom, but it comes with creating your structure, creating your culture, creating your dynamics, creating your, you know, your, your people. Tell us a little bit about how, how you made it happen. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, incredible journey. And I think it started with, we, we started in the right conversation, which was we've come from Pfizer, Novartis, GSK, three big consumer health companies within big pharma companies. So the conversation to get to separation was actually two and a half years ahead. We knew that we were going to spin. So there was a whole kind of, obviously, all the systems transitions, all the people transitions. But the place we started was actually, what is different about being a consumer business versus being part of a pharma company? And therefore, what's our purpose going to be? What is it we are going to create that is going to be different? Uh, and, and it starts from that better everyday health with humanity, which we, we took some time to really think about it. And in my view, it sums up in the following way, which is pharma companies serve patients, consumer companies serve consumers. Consumers get to choose every day the product they buy off the shelf. Um, patients are often told by doctors what's the medicine that's best for them based on the development of the medicine and the efficacy of the medicine. And so we wanted to create that purpose, which is fundamentally all about a cultural change of meeting consumer needs every day. Uh, and that was probably the biggest switch. Then, of course, there's the organizational design that goes with that. And setting up what I'm probably proudest of, actually, in Alien, it is truly in the business setting up multiple end-to-end -end roles within the kind of the business unit context that we've got, where... There are people who own contract manufacturing, manufacturing, planning, demands, the whole shooting match in their little business unit. And it, it kind of takes me back again to being a site director. If you can give people the autonomy to work in a way where in a separated business, they feel like they've got the end-to-end -end responsibility to deliver on that consumer promise and to deliver on the P&L commitment that we've got. I think that's where you can genuinely deliver huge success. And so yeah, that was the story of separation, creating a culture, creating an org design, creating obviously all the systems and, and, and disconnection from GSK, and then liberating people to kind of go out and make a difference um, and feeling you know, less controlled by this corporate machine and more inspired by 
what it takes to win in an environment where consumers want something different every day. Um, and that was probably the, the journey we went on, you know, and um, still on, to be honest, because it's complicated. I mean, that's the other thing I've learned, Radu, spinning off a company is complicated. And, um, you know, setting up, uh, setting up all the structure, the board relationship, the external relationships, uh, the relationship still with GSK, it's it's a complicated environment. One, you know, a richness of kind of work to do. But um, yeah, let me stop there. So let, let me let me double click on a few on a few topics because because um, there's a richness uh, in in this journey. Number one, end to end. You mentioned that you you designed your org from a supply chain perspective to be end to end. I meet a lot of different clients, different organizations. Uh, still to this day, I'm I, I could say that I'm fairly surprised to see that not a lot <laughs> or not the I can't say that the majority have an end to end setup in their supply chain. So there's you know whether they have planning and logistics in one side, procurement on one side, and manufacturing another. Whether they have kind of supply chain and then procurement, whether they have manufacturing. I mean it's. It's kind of all over the place in, in many. You specifically designed it to be end-to-end. -end. Talk us through a little bit why was that and is that important and you see that as the most uh, I mean, uh, efficient way of doing things. Maybe it's obvious, but let's let's just go through it. Yeah, yeah look, um, you know, clearly each... So in a business unit, first and foremost, the business unit is a group of cross-functional leaders working for a general manager who meets the consumer and customer expectations and delivers on a PL commitment. And having an integrated supply chain head who is part of that business team delivering on that commitment with the business as an equal partner really matters, really matters. And that helps you innovate. It helps you deliver on the bottom line, on the fuel for growth initiatives to help you then drive the top line. Um, and it helps you be integrated, I thought, also from a people perspective, so that people feel part of the company, part of the business, not part of a silo of manufacturing or a silo of planning or a silo. So really, really important kind of framework we set out as, a, as an organization. Then, of course, within supply chain, um, you know, the trade-offs of inventory versus OEE versus, so, you know, versus cash, all of the, those trade-offs can be made by... A leader who's closer to the customer, closer to the business, and can make the right trade-offs depending on, you know, they're not always, it's not always the same trade-off in the same organization, in the same, in different countries in the world with different products, you may, may slight, make slightly different trade-offs. And I think the closer you can get the end-to-end to, -end to either the brand or the country in which you operate, and make those trade-off decisions for that brand and that customer and that business, the more effective you can be. Uh, and so I think that end-to-end -end organizational design, look, it's not easy because there's some compromises that come with it. You know, when you have to supply outside of your BU, it gets kind of a bit more political because you're supplying cross BU. So it's 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 not there's no perfect model. You've got to make the global work as well as the local. Both are important, both play a role. But primarily, you know, the trade-off that somebody in Middle East Africa can make around owning the factories, owning the contract manufacturers, doing a make or buy, making that make or buy stick and making it work, looking at what demand planning and how to optimize forecast accuracy, and then how to optimize supply planning in order to deliver the cash commitment that the company's got, either through 
you know, better better terms with procurement or through less inventory or through, you know, make frequency or end-to-end -end lead time. All of those things are in control of that individual. And so there's no, you know, there's no one, there's an accountability uh, that's really clear and that is end-to-end. Uh, and there's no kind of she said, he said, or silo thinking. That's the intention. Uh, and secondly, I think there's a real kind of um, real excitement about those roles, actually. I mean, people love those jobs. They love those jobs because that's what I think every supply chain professional aspires to. I, I've known very few people that say, I want to be a planner for my life. I, you know, people want to be a planner. That's their profession. That's where they start. But then they'd love to get breadth to grow and and you know so the more roles you can create with breadth i think the more exciting we create as a as a profession and also i think the more influence we have in the business which is also hugely important if we can have an influence in the business to make a difference then that sets supply chain up for you know the value added role it does have in 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 supporting the business and uh, in the technical term, you you, call, you called it accountability. I think there is also a technical term, if I'm not mistaken, which uh, which CEOs like to use, which is one neck to choke. <laughs> <laughs> there's always there's in supply chain, you know, it's the real world, and uh, in the real world, there's always um, there's always something you can uh, you can either be proud of or there's something that kind of isn't quite going right uh, we, we control the real world and the real world is complicated you know that's it. now um question a little bit um different angle of the question so you mentioned this is not a simple process and it's for sure not uh, and i think the spin-offs in, in many ways is like uh, yeah, i mean it's not exactly starting a new business but <laughs> it's not far off also and in some ways also when you're taking legacy teams and legacy structures it's even more difficult to you know teach an elephant to fly so knowing what you know today and again sharing in the spirit of sharing with uh, our listeners you've been very successful at Halion. But what do you wish you knew when you started, right? So looking back when you first started 18 months ago and knowing what you know today, what were some of the key things you wished you knew in this journey? I think one is organizational design. We've, we've unfortunately, you know, we've been through a number of organizational changes as a result of first two integrations, then setting up this win model and now kind of right-sizing the organization for the future. And that's put a lot of pressure on individuals in the organization. And I wish we had tried to get there faster without so many, you know, goes at it for the want of a better description. Um, and, I, and I think that would have been helpful for the organization. Um, so, you know, kind of uh, knowing what we know now <laughs> would have helped to do that, you know, right in the first time. I think understanding how deep-rooted some of the ways of working are deep in the organization because people have worked in a GSK environment in some cases for decades and there's a great operating model that they have learned over time that worked in that old environment and creating a new environment and unleashing people Actually, you have to go quite deep in the organization to make sure that you unlock both the cultural change, which is about compliance and agility, both, not just one, and about freedom to operate within a, a kind of looser framework, a framework where everything isn't said to you, but where you've got to create the risk analysis yourself. 
And so in that operating model, you actually have to make decisions lower down in the organization and you have to be accountable for them rather than have, you know, a framework that just tells you what to do. Uh, and that, I think, is a big change. That It goes back down to the cultural change, which I would have um, would have done slightly differently and kind of genuinely been more structured about explaining that change with real-life examples earlier on of this is an example of what we would like you to do in a simplified world uh, and, and give people genuine examples so that they understand that it is different and that it's okay for them to take a risk and that they'll get supported in taking that risk. Um, and, I, and I think that's something I certainly learned through the process of that change. Yeah. Mm. No, good, good sharing and thanks for keeping real, uh, Bart. And um, also the, the realization is that of course, consumer healthcare products uh, need an agile, a fast type of a culture, and at the same time compliant. Yeah, so it's you can't really compromise on either of these two. So I guess now again a million dollar question. I'm asking you all this simple question. So how do you reinforce and and kind of build a culture that has these two elements, which a lot of times are I, I don't want to say they're contradicting, but there's definitely some tension in there. There is some tension. Uh, look, firstly, I think it's about making compliance easier. And so we've done an awful lot of automation of compliance, which I think helps make it easier for people because not, you know, so we've we put electronic batch records in. So every batch used to be kind of three centimeters thick. It's now on a screen. It makes it easier. People follow a process of what they need to do when they do a batch doc in the compliance environment, by the way, a batch doc is everything because it's what the regulator looks at to verify that you've done what you need to do. And so, you know, automating that in a way is really, really important and helping people be compliant in a way where it makes it easier for them to batch reconciliation, all of those practical things that are required in, an, in a compliant world. And, and our products, many of them are, are regulated in the same way that a cancer drug might be. Uh, and so that's really, really, really important. Um, but then doing, uh, you know, doing that, means that if you're if you if you make it easier for people you can also be more agile in the way you do a changeover do more frequent changeovers because you're now automated in the way you do a changeover your batch reconciliation is done by the computer so you don't have to do it in a manual way at the end of each changeover which takes you by the way half an hour to do so that cuts half an hour off your changeover time allows you to do more frequent changeovers and therefore allows you to meet consumer expectations of less inventory product when it's needed rather than when it's you know just making to inventory so that it's a real practical example of how you can you know change agility in a compliant world um and then there's a mindset you know there's a kind of how do you uh, how do you make sure you put the consumer first and, and use it. the consumer is the reason why you want to be compliant it's not that the regulator has their role but really putting the consumer at the heart of what you do i think uh, helps you be agile um so look there's no easy answer to those things um but um i think it's it's the beauty of the industry that we're in consumer health industry is a is a unique place it is all the expectations of running a food business and all the compliance requirements of running a pharma company and <clears throat> so it's an incredibly rich place to be able to manage both of those two things um yeah yeah no for sure um and uh and also we're we're 
you know, probably you, then you have a layer of uh, geopolitics and all this uh, uh, constant disruptions that mm -hmm. come with the the normality of having a supply chain uh, job in general. So uh, asking the crystal ball question, um, <laughs> and nobody knows the future, but what, what do you see as some trends or some likely things to happen within consumer health in general as an industry in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, look, you know, firstly, the obvious thing is consolidation. And I think it will, I don't know, about 24 months, but certainly 10 years. Um, you know, as you we discussed earlier, you know, Zanofi Bayer, uh, now Kenview, Halion, it's becoming a, a kind of a place where people are spinning off and seeing the benefits of that opportunity. Uh, but it is still a fairly fragmented industry. You know, in VMS, we're, we're the biggest, we've got the biggest brand, but we're still a three share globally. Um, you know, in pain, we own the top five brands of the top 10 in the world, but we're still a relatively small share. In Sensodyne, you know, a third of a third of uh, the world suffer from sensitivity. We only treat a third of those for sensitivity. So the opportunities for growth and consolidation are enormous in this industry. Um, and so that makes it a really exciting place to be. And so that's one. And then the second one, I think for supply chain, look, I, I, I think the whole, you know, how do you make products which are genuinely differentiated for consumers and produced at efficient efficient scale and innovated at pace. It's the multi-billion dollar question that I think supply chains constantly ask themselves. And I think in consumer business, that is more true than in any other, particularly VMS, for example, vitamins, minerals, and supplements. Everybody's got a different physiology. We know that your gut health, really 70% of your health of your body often comes from your gut health. If you get your gut health right, your nutrition right, that helps your brain health, that helps your cognitive health, it helps so many things. And we've done lots of evidence studies to demonstrate that. So again, how can you make products which are differentiated for the individual and still at scale that make them affordable and able to innovate so that they're current and you know relevant to consumers today and consumers have different needs as things evolve. And so I think the VMS space is probably a, a brilliant space to bring, you know, an agile, nimble, efficient, flexible supply chain to life. Because that's, you know, we're not making a black Ford motor car, right? And the car industry is a brilliant example. I think every car pretty much is different. Uh, you know, it's, it's brilliant. How can you possibly make every car different? And it's true. Every car is different. It's got a different set of... Um, uh, you know, extras and things like that. So I think that the, the FMCG industry needs to wake up to that reality and work out what it's going to take to stop making black Ford motor cars and make something which is very consumer relevant, put the consumer at the heart and create the supply chain that delivers to that. And talking about the people that, that make that currently and will make that, um, that, that happen, and um, you, you spoke about culture being key in terms of the spin-off or the successful spin-off of of Halion culture is all about people. What are some of you, your thoughts um, in terms of what it takes, one or two of the key attributes that it, it takes to be a great supply chain leader of, forget future, let's just stick to the next 12 to 24 months. <laughs> yeah. I, I always say, I think the first most important thing in life, whether it's supply chain leader or any leader, is curiosity and being curious about learning both learning about yourself 
what you're good at, what you want to do differently. Learning, I mean, my most vivid experience in terms of leadership was when my team gave me feedback when I was at Reckitt about the leader, I, 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 the impact I was having on them. And it, it was great at times and it wasn't so good at times. And I learned from the moment when they told me it wasn't so good and I did something about it. And so being curious about your own leadership journey, about how you can be the best leader you possibly want to be, and about learning about AI or new technology or new ways of thinking or new experiences or different, you know, different businesses. Um, that to me is what makes great leaders. It's that word curiosity. And then, of course, you know, I, I again, I have an experience. Pay forward, right? Pay forward. You've got to be prepared to put the effort in, and then, and then, both the richness of life will be there because I think life comes from you putting effort into life and the experience of that and then you know uh, being prepared to do that you know and then the benefits come later I think is important and setting your goals out setting out what matters to you your purpose your why so these are true for supply chain careers as much as any other career uh, but uh, and then look probably the last one so curiosity you know having a clear purpose and why and then you know, paying forward um, and then being, you know, prepared to put the effort in and resilient in that story. Resilience really matters, resilience and perspective, you know, resilient to learn, resilient to take on new things and resilient to be prepared. Look, supply chains go wrong. When they go wrong, you need good people to fix them. Um, and supply chains go right and you need people to optimise them and deliver on that future that I just described, which is, you know, you know, one batch, one, one, one unit is one batch, one, one consumer is one batch. You know, how do we make that happen in the next 20 years? How do we 3D print products that are kind of differentiated for every single person in the world? How do we create that kind of solution that is truly consumer-centered and being curious about making that happen? Yeah. And on, on the topic of, of uh, curiosity and perhaps expanding it a little bit to learning, right? Because it kind of goes hand in hand when you're curious, you learn new things. I guess we're at, at a time when we're most bombarded by... <laughs> there's never been as much information, as much tech, tech breakthroughs, as much AI taking over, <laughs> you, you name it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fishing for a practical ways in which you at the senior level, keep yourself open and learning, right? Because there's so many different channels. I'm pretty sure you get bombarded by events every day, by people trying to sell you stuff every day <laughs> and, and so on. So how do you sift through the noise, any secret or not so secret recipe to sift through the noise and, 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 and get to what is the crux of what is really relevant at this point in time? You know, I use external communities and, uh, uh, you know, very practically, Zero Hundred and Gartner, the two communities I'm part of, and I meet other chief supply chain officers in those communities on a regular basis and connect competitively and non-competitively with them to see what they're doing. So firstly, connecting externally with other people who are in different industries, uh, but have got similar challenges. So that that is really, really rich territory. I try and meet with um, particularly you know, um, the McKinsey's, the, the kind of BCG's, the Bain's of this world to get, to get broader business perspective and try and keep connected with partners there that I know well. So again, it's probably, and then keep connected with people like you, Radu, who I think have a unique experience of meeting people from different industries and different places. So again, I think it's it's networking with 
rich rich kind of different people different people from different environments and different backgrounds uh and so i'm a sociable guy i get out there and i talk to people and that, that probably is the way i learn i'm not such a book guy i don't i i read the odd book but i'm much more about connecting with people and, and learning and understanding what they're doing and what they spend their time doing and then you get into a rich conversation about you know where that takes you so yeah love it and I, i'm the same i'm i mean i, I probably bought about 30 books or 40 this year <laughs> you haven't read them yet. probably only read two because you know i, I start reading it and then i fall asleep and i'm like i'm not picking that up again <laughs> so <laughs> we all i think that's exactly right Radu. and look yeah i think i probably should get better at it but it, it is people learn in different ways and you've got to be good at knowing the way you learn and then adapting your kind of curiosity to the way you learn, right? And clearly, we both do it through networking. <laughs> others do it through reading. It's uh, yeah, different for no, everybody. No but, one fixed, um, yeah, fixed yeah. way of, of doing it. <laughs> final, final question from me, Bart. A lot, uh, also, young, uh, young professionals listen to this. Uh, what would be some piece of advice? Can be one, can be two, can be three. No need to be, uh, no, no need to hold uh, hold yourself. But uh, you know, somebody wanting to be a board member one day, what would be some advice that you would share with them? Yeah, firstly, enjoy the journey because it isn't about being on the exec team. It's about enjoying the journey to get there. And so, take every moment, one step at a time. Don't look at working on what the next job is. Look at doing and enjoying the job you're doing right now. And if you're not enjoying the job you're doing right now, do something about it and go and get another job that you will enjoy because enjoying the job means you'll be good at it. Um, that's kind of the first piece of advice. And the second one is, look, be, do be clear on, you know, what, what life is about for you. And um, if it is about a career and being on the exec team, if it is about creating your own business, be clear if it is about you know having a family that that you know means you need a balance in work and life that uh that that, that means you can only put so much into work and then also into into home life be clear about that and set yourself out that that's what you want to do and then you will achieve it um but be clear about what you want to achieve and then uh, and then anything's possible actually um in my view anything's possible Love it. And I'll just build a, or I'll just give an example that comes to mind. So I was talking to a good friend and uh, she had had a very clear view for a long time that she wants to be on the board from a, a different perspective. And now she's basically one step away yeah, from that position. And she's watching her boss, right? I mean, who, who is already on the board. And she's like thinking to herself, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, right? <laughs> like because she has direct now exposure and she's like oh my god you know my boss uh it's a lot of stress it's a lot of um politics obviously it's a lot of you know the package is a lot more than what she had thought it is and then she's like mm, maybe <laughs> i know i've worked hard but maybe i should i don't know if i want this anymore so um I guess that that's that's another conundrum sometimes uh, that that people end up in a situation where you realize that um, oh, maybe it's just not not what you want anymore. So, anyways, I'm just putting it out there. Just curious, what's your mm. thoughts on on this? Because it can also happen. I think it's a brilliant example, Radu, and I, I I can, which is why enjoying the journey matters. Because if you haven't enjoyed the journey to get there, and then you don't <laughs> want it, look, I I think we've all learned, uh, you know, in this Halion journey, there's no doubt that being an executive team member 
um, you know, there's some. It's it's a brilliant privilege. I, I love I love it. I love what I've what I've done here at Hagelian. But it, there's a lot of stress that comes with it, and there's a lot of complexities that come with it, uh, which you have to want to kind of get your head around. And so there's no doubt that it's not for everyone. There's no doubt about that. And that's why you've got to work out what you want and then go out and, you know, make sure that that happens. And <laughs> if it changes, it's a, by the way, one other thing, I think what, you, what I love about what you said is it's okay if it changes. You know, so it's okay. It's okay. Then, then I don't want that anymore. Okay, so what do you want? Adjust it. Life is not a straight line. It's definitely not a straight line. And so go and, you know, go and change it if that's how you're feeling about it. So great, great example, actually. Love it. Love it. Like they say, I think it's a Buddhist. No, I don't know if it's Buddhist. Maybe I'm making it up. But there's a saying that says that on the path to enlightenment, remember to stop and smell the roses. The journey, not it's about the journey, not the destination. I mean, it's you know, theoretically, I think everybody agrees. I mean, in practice, uh, that's where it, <laughs> it it breaks down or not. But uh, that's a different different discussion. Go smell some roses this Christmas, uh, Maybe that's the, uh... <laughs> the answer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, look, uh, Bart, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for, for the very real and genuine conversation. Glad to have you and uh, appreciate all the, the, the great examples that you've, uh, you've given uh, all throughout our sharing session. Thanks for taking the time, Radu. Great, great to connect. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcodglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.